Matthew chapter 15. I tell you, we're a needy people. Um, you know, one of the things that I think is good when we do that prayer request time and uh, share those requests is we are just reminded of what a needy people we are. Uh, and that's a healthy exercise from time to time. You know, sometimes if things going well in life, you you kind of get to the place where uh, you forget how badly you need the Lord. And you know it in an academic sense. You know, if you were taking a quiz and the question came up, do you need the Lord, you'd, you'd answer it right. But uh, how often do we go through life and not feeling deeply that need for it? And so it's a good thing. It's a healthy thing to be reminded how much we need the Lord. And I thank him for his goodness and grace tonight. Matthew chapter 15. Let's begin reading in verse number one. Matthew chapter 15, verse number one. The word of God says, Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said unto them, why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, and he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, Whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, It is a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus ye have made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah say, prophesy of you, saying, this people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. We'll stop there and pray. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you for letting us be here, Lord. It's a privilege to get to be in this place. There's people all over this world that would love to do what we're doing tonight. Lord, how privileged we are to get to meet in this place. We have borne our hearts to you tonight, Lord. We, we have needs that are beyond our ability to change and and to touch, Lord, we have family and loved ones that are grieving, whose hearts are shattered into a million pieces tonight. And Lord, we're trusting and asking you to bind those those broken hearts up. We're asking you to touch the health and, and the well-being of, of people that are dear to us. Asking you to reach into the spiritual heart and mind of people who are in darkness right now and shine the glorious light of your truth and your gospel. Lord, things that are so far beyond our ability... But it just reminds us tonight, Lord, how desperately we need you. And we are well equipped to face every problem we have. For we have a God that is powerful. And we want to thank you tonight for who you are, Lord, for what you've done, for what we know you will do. And I pray that tonight as you take the word of God and use it in our hearts and lives, that we'd be obedient to you, that we'd have our hearts open. And, Father, that we would just be malleable clay in the potter's hands, that you might be glorified. Lord, we love you and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I want you to notice with me tonight the audience of people that the Lord Jesus addresses this rather sharp language to. It says in verse 1, Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees. Now these are not just any scribes and Pharisees. The Bible says they were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. And the Lord's reply is pointed. He gets to the very heart, cuts through all of the politeness, all of the talk, all of the semantics and, and everything. And he says in verse 3, Why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? He goes on to further explain what he means in verse number 6 after describing how they have taken and twisted the word of God. He says, Thus ye have made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. I'm fascinated to read this tonight for a few reasons. 
Uh, one, you know, it would have been one thing if the Lord had been talking to someone that was a rank pagan, someone that had no concept of who God was. Would have been something if he had been talking to someone that was uh, uh, thoroughly secular minded, somebody like Matthew was before the Lord came along, a man whose life was consumed with with secular endeavors and and public life. But no, that's not who the Lord's talking to when he says these things. He's talking to men that the Bible describes as scribes and Pharisees. These are men whose literal job, their role, their function, their passion in life has to do with how they handle and treat the Word of God. These are the last people that you would think could be accused of transgressing and making of none effect the commandments of God. I don't know about you, but we live in a day today where we are, and I say this in a glad way, we are saturated with the Word of God. Uh, Every person in this room probably just about has at least half a dozen Bibles somewhere in your house. You've heard more preaching than any generation prior to you has ever heard before. Chances are we are the most biblically educated and biblically literate people that have ever per capita lived uh, on God's green earth. And yet I find that there is a similar thing happening today that was happening in the day of Christ. Uh, Though we are inundated with the truth of the Word of God, I don't know that there's ever been a generation that has treated the Word of God as lightly as our generation does. It's disregarded. It's it's, uh, considered to be common. The the biblical word would be the word profane. Just Just another book, just another tome, just another textbook, and nothing more than that. i got news for you tonight. Uh, Here in my hand is the inspired, inerrant, preserved Word of God. This is not some product of Bronze Age literature. This is not just a compilation of men's thoughts and wisdom and popery. These are the very words of God that we have here tonight. And it is a book that deserves our undying love, reverence, and affection. And the Lord Jesus points to these men whose entire life was focused around the truth of the Word of God and reveals in in cutting fashion that in fact the thing that they claimed to love the most was the thing that they were treating worse in their lives. Well, I don't know about you, but I wonder if there wouldn't be times the Lord might have to say that about Toby Webber. That as much as we know the Word of God, as much as we memorize the Word of God, that we sadly in our lives do not treat it with the, the reverence and the love and the attention that it deserves. When I look at these Pharisees, it proves something to me. We think of people basically in society as being religious or irreligious. Most of the time, even when we meet people, one of the things we'll ask them, uh, you know, where do you go to church? Do you go to church anywhere? And, And if somebody says, yeah, I go to church, we just sort of take for granted that they're saved, they know God, they love the Bible. If somebody says, I don't care nothing about the Word of God or I don't go to church, we we assume then, probably correctly so, that they have no concept, no reverence for the Word of God. But imagine talking to these men who were deeply educated, who were, were highly literate in the Word of God, and finding out that their entire life and their entire relationship with the Word of God had in fact been an empty, hollow thing. When I look at these men, it proves three things to me. Number one, it proves that it's possible to affirm the Word of God and yet not mean anything by it. These are men that were doctrinally sound and grounded. In fact, in ancient Israel, there were two groups of people that were a part of the Sanhedrin. There were the Pharisees, and these are the men we're looking at here tonight. And then there's what the Bible calls the Sadducees. 
and the Sadducees were uh, almost, we might say they were of the two, the, the most humanist or uh, the uh, most uh, earthly minded of the two. They didn't believe in a resurrection. Uh, they didn't take the word of God literally. They viewed it to be figurative. And I'm saying this, the Pharisees of the two groups were the more biblical of the two. If you had asked these men, do you believe that the Bible's the word of God? They would have said, of course I do. If you had asked, do you believe the Bible is a literal book? They would have said, well, of course we do. If you had asked them things like, do you believe that God created the earth seven days uh, and, uh, and, and are on six days and on the seventh day rest, they would have said, well, that's what it says. If you had asked them, do you believe that God parted the Red Sea? They wouldn't have made excuses. They would have said, yes, we do. If you had asked him, do you believe that Elijah raised that little boy from, from the dead up there in that, in that room? That's absolutely we do. They would have affirmed the truth of the Word of God. And let me say tonight, we should affirm the truth of the Word of God, but more than that, we should be affected by the truth of the Word of God. If we won't affirm the truth of God's Word, and what I mean by that is acknowledge its truth, recognize it for what it is, then how could it ever change our lives? These are men that would have affirmed the Word of God. Not only that, these were men that would have applauded the Word of God. In fact, it was not uncommon. Of course, in the ancient Israel, they were living under a pseudo-theocratic system. And what I mean by that is uh, their religious laws were their public laws. Whenever most matters of public life had to be settled, the Word of God was the, the law book upon which they based their decisions. And these are men that when they heard the Word of God read and quoted and invoked about a matter, they would have been the people banging their ring on the side of the chair and saying, here, here, this is truth, this is what needs to be done. They would have been the kind of men that would have been pleased for the Word of God to have been given a great place of, uh, of prominence in, in public life. In fact, their entire life was focused on and wrapped up in the Word of God being viewed and revered and received and accepted of men. And can I say this? There's times that, listen, not only do we affirm the Word of God, but there's times that we might applaud the Word of God when that very Word of God should be cutting us. I'll tell you this as a pastor, and uh, I don't mean it in an ugly way, but it's the truth of it. I've heard people uh, amen me in a sermon when they should have been on an altar over the very matter that was being preached on. You all right? To, is there anybody out there? You okay tonight? It ain't, we ain't even got to the rough part yet. I'm talking about Fred anyway. Don't worry about it. Hey, listen, uh, there's times that if we're not careful as we listen to preaching the Word of God, we can merely just shift into neutral and get into a non-reflective perspective about the Word that we're hearing preached and taught. And these are men that if you had quoted the Word of God, they would have said, Amen. These are men that if you had read the Word of God, they would have been pleased, they would have applauded that, they would have been proud to hear it read. And yet these are men that Christ says, you're gutting the truth of the Word of God in your very own life. They're men that outwardly, externally, superficially seem to have a deep, passionate relationship with the Word of God. And yet in this passage, it is revealed to us that in fact, they were not letting the Word of God get hold of them, but rather they were trying to get hold of the Word of God and, and twist it and shape it and move it and manipulate it in such a way as to bolster and endure their life. In other words, we could say this, that it's possible the Pharisees show us to affirm the Word of God to applaud the Word of God, and yet still at the end of the day to be abusing the Word of God. So the question is, how do we treat the Word of God in our life? 
Christ says about these Pharisees in verse 7, He calls them hypocrites. In other words, they were wearing a mask, playing a role, just trying to project a certain image that did not exist in their hearts. And He invokes the prophecy of Isaiah when He said, This people draweth nigh unto Me with their mouth. They'd talk about the Lord. They'd talk about Him being gracious. They'd talk about the Word of God. They honoreth Me with their lips. They'd sing praise to Him. They'd speak of how glorious and wonderful He was. But... Their heart is far from me. He says, in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Then the Lord gives an example of this in their lives. He brings to their mind a Talmudic uh, revision upon uh, a, a commandment that was given in the Old Testament regarding honoring a person's father and mother. And he shows in this an example of how we twist and abuse the word of God in our lives. I want you to notice these three thoughts tonight, and then I'll be done. Look at verse number four with me. The Lord says, For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother. And he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. The first thing the Lord points back to is a clear commandment in the Word of God. Now I'll go ahead and tell you tonight, there are areas of the Word of God that may have some difficulty in understanding. There are some things I wish I could tell you that I understand everything about this book, but I'd have to lie to you to tell you that. But I found that most of the time, the issues that become problems in our life are orbiting around commandments in the Word of God that are not uncertain. Most of the time, the things we struggle with, uh, we ain't got no questions about it. We know what's right, and we know what's wrong. Here in this clear commandment, we see first off a clear precept to honor thy father and thy mother. Now, I'm going to say a, a little bit more about this when we get to verse 5 and how they were treating it. But the clear, literal understanding of God's Word is plain and apparent here, that a man is never relieved of the duty to show reverence and respect to his parents. This reverence and respect moves beyond just lip service, obviously, and that, in fact, they were treating their parents the same way they were treating God. I'll say more about that in a minute. But there is an abundantly clear precept here. And you could look at, at any of the 600 and some odd commandments in the Old Testament. But the one that the Lord points out here leaves no uncertainty about the matter. God did not say, honor my, thy father and thy mother except. Didn't say, honor thy father and thy mother until. Uh, didn't say, honor thy father and, that, and thy mother unless this happens, unless that happens, unless this is required, unless that is required. This is an abundantly clear precept. Accompanying it was an abundantly clear punishment. He says, he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. Now, what that phrase means, die the death, is die under penalty of the Old Testament law. And if you study the Old Testament, this is a process that uh, is described in detail of how that if you had a son or a daughter that was rebellious, they were to be taken uh, to the public area of that village or of that town, and they, uh, their sins, their rebellion was to be pronounced over them, and judgment was to be passed, and they were to be stoned to death. This was a very literal commandment that was given, and every one of them would have understood it as such. Can I say, in addition to the fact that most of the time the the commandments in the Word of God that we struggle with, it's not for lack of understanding. Let me say beyond that, the punishment that disobeying the Word of God holds is most of the time not lost on any of us. 
Let's just be honest about this thing. I mean, listen, we're, we're not a bunch of people in the middle of, 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 a, of a rainforest or a, or a desert somewhere that's staring up at the sun and wondering if that's God. We're biblically literate people. We're people that have the word of God. We're people that have been preached to for generation after generation after generation. Let me go a step further than that. We have seen what sin does to a society. Let's just go ahead and be honest about it. We know that sin is a destructive thing. I, I mean, listen, I, I, I'm, you could preach this message to any generation. You could preach it to any church. But I'm preaching to Walridge tonight in this generation. We know that sin destroys lives. We know that our sin destroys our life and the lives of others. We know that the sins of others has a devastating effect on the people around them. Let's quit feigning ignorance about the effect of sin in our lives. We know, and the Word of God has left us, in no amount of ambiguity about these matters. Even in the New Testament, the Bible makes abundantly clear that uh, sin, when it is finished, it bringeth forth death, that the wages of sin is death. That sin is a destructive influence and force in the life of any person, and particularly so in the life of the believer. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that commandment, I, I, it feels like there's nowhere to hide in there. What I mean by that is, what are you going to do with that other than obey? God's clear here. Honor thy father and mother. He that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. You don't need no commentary on that. You don't need no exposition on that. God is abundantly clear. Here's a commandment. Do this, you'll be blessed, you'll be honored. Don't do this, you'll be cursed. And you'd think that would settle it, wouldn't you? You'd think that you'd look at that and say, well, that sews it up. We know what the right thing to do is. But how many times in our life have we taken the crystal clear commandment, the word of God, and so twisted it, so abused it, so manipulated it as to afford an account for our own personal sin and rebellion? I hope you never have. But I, if you haven't, I'll just preach to me tonight. I'm the only one amen at this point, so I'm fine with that. <laughs> and what I mean to say tonight is this. Let's not feign ignorance about what the word of God teaches. And let's not pretend we don't know the truth of the Word of God. We know it tonight. We see a clear commandment. Number two, we see a corrupt compromise. Now, as I said a moment ago, you know, you look at that and think, now, where could anyone run from that truth? I mean, the Bible's clear there. And yet, the Pharisees had found a way. Verse 5, but ye say, now notice the emphasis there, and just lay it in juxtaposition. God commanded, but ye say. God commanded, but ye say, can I say anytime we find ye say, and, and it's different than what thus saith the Lord, we have found ourselves in a problem. The real problem in our life comes from where we want to add a but to the end of the truth of God's word. Well, God's word says this, but, but ye say, the Lord said, whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, it is a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me and honor not his father or mother, he shall be free. We see in this verse a corrupt compromise that the Pharisees had made regarding the word of God. Now, this is this is very simply the way that they did this. They looked at it and they reduced the clear teaching the word of God to being merely a temporal matter. And by the way, we're seeing this happen in a lot of churches today where they're seeking to gut the supernatural out of the word of God and rather make it some sort of ancient self-help book that provides us just some good principles whereby we can live our lives, but really has no supernatural transformative power. I've got news for you. This isn't Tony Robbins down at the airport. This is God's authoritative word. 
And uh, listen, this is not just, uh, you know, chicken soup for the fat Baptist. This is God's inspired word. And as such, it needs to be treated with that amount of reverence. But here's what they said. They said, well, what we think God is saying is this, that we don't need to let our old folks just be kicked out onto the street. we got to make sure that they're took care of. But instead of me continuing to revere them and love and cherish and honor them, what I'm going to do is we're going to have sort of a reverse disinheriting take place. We're going to just tally up how much it would cost to replace our time, labor, and effort over the remaining years, and I can pay them off and walk away from my responsibility and obligation towards them. In other words, almost as though if a parent was to look at a child and say, take your inheritance and go and you're no longer my son, they were saying, I ought to be able to look at my parent and say, I don't want to be tethered to you anymore, so I'm just going to pay you off and walk away and never have to deal with you again. And notice the process of this compromise. Two things basically happened. First, they revised the precept. They took it upon themselves to imagine what God's intention was. And then great guys they were, went ahead and found a better way to accomplish what God should have meant by his word in the first place. Does that sound confusing to you? There's a reason. Anytime you're having to jump through that many hula hoops to make what you're doing seem right, chances are you and your heart of hearts already know it's wrong. They were sort of intuiting. They were saying, well, really what God's concerned about is is merely that that old folks be cared for. And so what we'll do is we'll just lay up a fund, we'll lay up an amount of money, and then we'll never have to deal with them again. And it's a shame God didn't think of this better way to do this, but thankfully we've saved the day and we figured out a better way for God's word to go. But the truth of the matter is God knows more than you and I do. He knows what we need. He knows what we don't need. I don't want to trample all over my message before I get there. But suffice it to say, you don't have the wisdom to change God's word. I'm just going to say that again. You don't have the wisdom to change God's word. Think of the hubris, the pride, the arrogance it takes. Look at it and say, well, this is really what God meant. Don't you imagine that, I don't know, somebody like God has the ability to say what he means and mean what he says? The first thing they did is they revised the preset. And let me just boil it down real simple. Anytime in your life that you find yourself having to qualify the word of God to allow for the behavior that you are carrying out, you already know you're wrong. It's just a question of whether you'll bend the knee to the authority of the word of God. They were trying to twist and change it to find some means and some way to excuse the way they were living. And by the way, I, I want to—I don't know if this even needs to be said, but I want to say, because I don't want there to be any, any misunderstanding here. I don't think this is God's indictment against getting help caring for ailing parents or, or, or ailing parents having to be in a place where they have the kind of assistance and help that they need 24-7. I'll tell you what I do think it's against. I do think it's against a person saying, I just don't want to fool with them, so I'm going to cut a check and never have to see them again. That's what God's condemning here. Of course, there'll be times in in your life, possibly, in my life, possibly, where it may take more than the capability of my immediate family to see to my needs and to keep me safe and protected. And I don't think God's begrudging that. In other words, this isn't some kind of indictment against assisted living or nursing homes. But what it is is saying, I don't have to carry out the commandment of the word of God. I can instead deduce what I think God's trying to accomplish and find a better way of accomplishing it than God. You don't have the authority to do that. I don't have the authority to do that. We don't have the authority to change the word of God. They sought to revise the precept. And then, conveniently, they sought to remove the punishment. Verse 6 
says, and honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Free. You can almost hear the tone of it. Free. Free at last. In other words, that they would not have any responsibility, any punishment laid to them because they had disobeyed the word of God. Now compare what verse 6 says back to verse 4. God commanded saying, verse 4, honor thy father and mother. and He that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. After man gets a hold of the word of God, here's how that commandment reads in verse 6. If he honor not his father or mother, he shall be free. That's the problem with it. It completely turns on its head the truth of the word of God, guts it of any significance and meaning, and takes it, and like, like a master to a slave, it whips it into subjection under the rebellion of a person's life. In other words, we see that they were seeking to revise the precept but then conveniently to remove the punishment. It wasn't about finding a better way to accomplish it. It was always about trying to make the word of God agree with their lifestyle. That's really what is so corrosive in modern day Christianity is this notion that you or I would have the authority to change God's word so that it would conform to our life instead of our life conforming to it. You don't have that authority. I don't have that authority. We see the process of this compromise, but notice the problem with this compromise. It says in verse 6, Thus have you made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. You know the problem with this compromise? Number one, it offends God's sanctity. God's word is not merely rooted in pragmatism. It's rooted in holiness. In other words, were we to jettison holiness as being a principle that God values, then there might be, humanly speaking, more pragmatic ways to accomplish things in the Word of God. But the truth of the matter is this. We can't disregard God's holiness and sanctity because God's holiness and sanctity is the very fundamental core matter of the Word of God in the first place. It's His Word, not our Word. It's a revelation of who He is. It's not meant, and it exposes, it reveals who we are. Don't misunderstand me. But the purpose of it is not to be a, and I know we say this sometimes, we call it, you know, it's a love letter written from God to the world. I get that. I understand the gospel is, is, you know, uh, the, the, the love of God being commended to all of the world. And I understand that. But I got news. This is not a love letter to you and I. This is not a book for our self affirmation. This is a book of the revelation of the person, mind, character, and holiness of God. If we make the holiness of God a secondary matter in the Word of God, we're not going to understand the Word of God. And we're going to take it and we're going to rob it of its meaning and its power. And here's the the saddest thing about it. Even if we can twist the Word of God to such a way that we believe we have so compromised it that our life can be condoned by it, it doesn't change the truth of God's Word. And that's really the the heart of the matter. Uh, You can make the Word of God say anything you want to make it say, but you're not going to make God say anything different than what He has said. You can twist it and change it and cut it up and put stuff in and take stuff out and try to make it support whatever heresy and whatever sin may be present in your life. But it's not going to change what God said. You understand that I want to be very deliberate and careful and definite in how I say this. I understand that, that before the world was, the Word of God was. I understand in the beginning was the Word. But you also understand that before this word was ever pinned down, the word already existed. So try as you may to warp and twist and and whip it into subjection and submission. It does not change the truth of the word of God. And at the end of the day, 
We can try to change it. We can try to call our sin good and righteous. We can try to call evil good and good evil. But it does not change the fact that sin offends the sanctity of God. Not only does it offend God's sanctity, it offends his authority. Uh, who are we to say? Why would we think that we would have the authority to change God's word? Uh, one of the things that irritates me as a dad is when I tell my son to do something and he takes it upon himself to fix what I told him to make it easier for him to accomplish. And I probably did this as a child and maybe still as an adult, I still do it. But I'll tell him, I'll say, you know, son, I want you to go in there and get this. And he'll come back with six, eight different things before he ever comes back to what I told him to bring. And sometimes he'll say, well, this is what I thought you wanted. And I'll say, if that's what I wanted, that's what I would have asked for. What I'm really telling him is this, you don't have the authority to decide. I'm the authority in your life, and I'm telling you what I need. I'm telling you what I require. And I didn't ask for your advice or your opinion. I asked for your obedience. I got I, this. We're getting over in the weeds here, but I, got, I don't know how it's happened, but I have raised a backseat driver. I have. I have raised an eight-year-old backseat driver. We was coming to church, and I went away that he wasn't expecting. He said, Dad, why are we going this way? I said, uh, I'm going to take advice from the people in the car with driver's license, son. Why don't you just worry about it later, all right? I, I told him, I said, I, I promise you, if I run out of people to ask, you'll be the one that I ask. But, man, how often do we do that to God? Well, God, what you really should have meant well, 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 Lord, surely you don't mean. Well, God, don't you think it'd be better? God's more gracious to his children than I am to mine. But if he did us the way I'd do mine, I'd say just hush and obey. Who are we to say we have the authority? The problem at the end of the day is this. We don't have the authority. Listen, the, 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 we can change this copy down here, but the one that's settled forever in heaven, it ain't changing. And we're going to be judged by it. I see a corrupt compromise here. But then I want you to notice the, the thing that the Lord says in verse 6, the, the ending phrase to this little discourse, this example. He says, thus you have made, have you made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. Now that's interesting to me. When I read this passage, I see a clear commandment given in verse number 4. A clear precept, a clear punishment. I see a corrupt compromise. The, the process they went, they revised the precept, they removed the punishment. And the real problem with this compromise, which is it offends God's sanctity and his authority. But the end of verse 6 reveals to us a crippling consequence. The worst part about it is not that we'd be wrong and not know it. The worst part about abusing the word of God is that we would rob the word of God of the power that we need it to have in our lives to work and to effectuate the will of God. How was it that they made the commandment of God of none effect? Well, let me say that there are basically two things which every commandment has in mind. You could say a third that regards satisfying God's holiness and, and pleasing Him. But just humanly speaking, there are two sides to everything that God asks of us. One, there is a ministering side to the effect of God's word in our lives. In other words, there are things that I do because they help other people. That's why God commands me to do them. Things like loving your neighbor, 
right? Uh, things like treating your neighbor as yourself. Things like there, there's an on and on we could go. When I, you know, when I'm obedient, tithe to the local church. When I serve the Lord, when I share the gospel, all those things are things that reach out and touch a world around me. And the Word of God has a ministering effect. But then I would say, secondly, the Word of God has a transforming effect. So, what do you mean, preacher? Well, there's an outward change. That is, that is performed by the Word of God, but there's also an inward change that's performed by the Word of God. So, when I love my neighbor as myself, I'm helping him, right? But I'm also changing me. When I serve in the local church, I'm helping the local church, right? But I'm also growing me through the Word of God. And the truth is, what they had done robbed this commandment of both effects of the Word of God. It is not that God was short on cash and needed them to foot the bill for their aging parents. That was not the problem here. It's not that God would have let a single one of their parents perish if they if they loved the Lord and knew Him due to, to starving. David already answered that a long time ago. I've been old, young, now I'm old, yet have I never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. But what God sought to do was to bond together two generations through that process and to use that younger generation to minister to the needs of the older generation, to help them, to bless them, and to strengthen them. In other words, when we change the Word of God, when we twist it in such a way that it allows us to not have to actually carry out the Word of God, the truth of the Word of God, it robs others of the power of the Word of God that would have been ministered into their life by us and our obedience to the Lord. We may go to sleep at night and feel good about what we've done, but we won't change the world around us without living in obedience to the truth of the Word of God. It's going to take obedience to the Word of God. But then there's a second problem here, right? God didn't just want to minister to that older generation, but He also wanted to grow the children through this process. He wanted them to grow uh, their love, to grow deeper towards their parents, their dependence upon God to grow stronger through the process. God was seeking to transform and change them as well. But lucky them, they had found a way to get out of obeying God. And the sad thing is, they suffered more than anyone. God would have still met the needs of their mothers and fathers. But there could not be a transformative work of the Word of God done in their life if they would not obey the truth of God's Word. You know, every work that's done in our life has a certain measure of discomfort and pain. That's the truth of it. I one time in my life worked out. Not at one time, just one time I did it. And it was awful. I remember back, I'll tell you this real quick, a few years ago, my, my brother, before he got married, he had money. And uh, he, and time and all those things. And he decided he wanted to take a Krav Maga class. Krav Maga, Israeli martial arts, right? This stuff's it, 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 it's, it's mean, it's bad stuff. They don't even do competitions in it. Because if you win at Krav Maga, you killed someone, all right? And he decided he wanted to take some Krav Maga classes. So he goes down to one of these, one of these studios down here where they teach it. And they had a thing, a free class, right? You just come and take a free class or a couple of free classes. He said, I want you to go down with me to the Krav Maga place and I want you to, I want you to, Crawled McGall with me. I said, all right, I, you know, I'll do that. I, so we went down there and went into this place and, and uh, the guy, the teacher comes in and he says, all right, first thing we're going to start off with is cardio. I should have turned and walked out right when he said that, but I didn't. I thought, well, I'm here. I'm, I ain't going to abandon my brother. So 
we started running in circles. Running. Now, I don't know about you, and, and I can imagine a thousand ways to kill a man, but running circles around him don't seem to be one of them. But for whatever reason, they said, start running circles. So we started running circles. They said, all right, now we want you to flip around backwards and run backwards. I'm not built to do that. But I tried, and I'm, I'm stumbling, I'm bumping into people. They said, all right, I want you to go sideways. I don't even really think it's possible to run sideways. But they said, turn sideways and do them the scissor, you know, one foot over the other. Man, I don't know. Probably, it felt like an hour and a half. Legitimately, it was probably two to three minutes in. My heart is getting ready to explode. I mean, I'm pouring sweat, you know. And finally, I just went and collapsed over on this bench over in the corner. I just laid there heaving and everything. And, and, and the guy that was teaching class, he comes over. He says, all right, man, come on. Yeah, come on. Get up. I just stared at him, you know. And his job's to motivate me, poor guy. Come on, don't you, come on, don't you want to get back in? Come on. I said, I can't even talk yet, you know. And finally he kind of, he came close, he said, look. He said, here's the truth of the matter, man. He said, if somebody comes to try to hurt you, they ain't going to come to you in the shape you wish you were in. They're going to come to you in the shape that you are in. He got real serious with me. And he looked down at me, he said, what are you going to do if somebody, if somebody comes and tries to hurt you? I said, I'll shoot him. <laughs> That's the truth of the matter. I mean, I, you don't want to chase fat people, man. We can't run. All we can do is shoot you. And uh <laughs> But, you know, here's the truth of the matter. There's a couple reasons they were having us do that, right? One was to cull the herd, which it worked with me. I never went back. But the other reason is because if you wanted to progress, you were going to have to develop muscles and, and stamina and, and, you know, ability and dexterity and a thousand other things. And, uh, you know, any endeavor like that has a certain measure of pain, discomfort. How many of you have heard this before? If you're working out, if it don't hurt afterwards, you're not getting it done. Can I tell you, there's, there's a parallel to our relationship with the Word of God. Yeah, we, I don't care how good, how great of a church that you think you go to. You should not be able to sit in year after year of service and never get made mad by the Word of God. Now, ain't none of us so spiritual that we ain't going to get hit by this book. If the Word of God is preached, there's going to be times that it bothers us, that it pricks us, that it stings us. Times that it that it pierces. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It divides to the asunder, uh, asunder soul and spirit. And I'm saying this. Uh, that work is healthy in our life. If we think that we always have to have a comfortable relationship with the Word of God, what we're really always going to have is a compromised relationship with the Word of God. We're going to whip it into subjection and submission to us instead of just opening it, reading it, and accepting the truth of it. So I wonder how we're treating the Word of God in our life. And I would say that until we're to a place that we are revering it, obeying it, absorbing it, living in it, letting it live in us, then we're never going to see God do the work in our lives or the lives of others that we need Him to. Let's bow together tonight as a musician comes to play. The altar's open. If God's dealt with your heart, you ought to go ahead and meet Him down here. Don't give, don't give the flesh even a moment to bully you into not moving if God dealt with you about something. You go ahead and meet Him down in this altar. Father, I love you tonight. I thank you for letting us be here. Thank you for the truth of your Word, Lord. It's a hard message. It's a message that cut and was uncomfortable to my flesh. But, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to receive it as it is in truth the Word of God and to be obedient to it. Lord, we love you and we ask it in Christ's name.